Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now. From the dirt tracks across Australia, welcome to Inside Speedway with Dennis Newman and Craig Ravel. Hello and welcome to Inside Speedway. Craig Ravel with you, Dennis Newland, working on the latest edition of Speedway Classics magazine. It'll be out later this year. So, we'll battle on alone. Speedway Australia, well, they've been announcing their award winners for 2020. This year, the awards have gone online with a video presentation and releasing the winners daily on their social media channels. And we have already seen the first group of announcements. The Carter of the Year is Alicia Fielder. Official of the Year from the Northern Territory, Jacqueline Eakins. Youth Competitor of the Year out of WA, Blake Awana. Blake Awanow. Photographer of the Year from Tasmania, Jared Leonard. Modified Driver of the Year, you heard him on this show, Kevin Britton. Today, we'll see the Open Wheel Competitor of the Year announced. Saturday, we'll have the Sedan Competitor. And Sunday, we'll announce the Overall Sports Person of the Year. Congratulations to all the winners so far. We'll keep you up to date next week with those three other winners. Now, more good news for Robbie Farr. He will drive for DTM Motorsport at Sydney Speedway in 2021. Robbie's Sprint Cars announcement came this week and he's joining Darren and Tracy Darlitz. Carl Trofer will be the crew chief for the number four cool chassis entry. Now, there's no announcement yet on Ian Madsen's future who had been driving that car. So today we've got a great show for you. We hear from Brian Darby and I'm sure uh, many of you have already checked out at least one of Brian's websites. He's up next here on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine on sale now. Joining us on Inside Speedway is a man whose name is probably familiar to you, but I wanted to get the story behind the man, and that is Brian Darby. Thanks for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Craig. Brian, it's an interesting it's an interesting story. You gained an interest in motorsport and speedway in particular from hanging on the fence, getting sprayed with dirt. Yeah. Sydney Sports Ground Speedway in 1953, I was uh, 11 years old. And uh, in those days, you could stand right on the fence uh, and you could touch the riders and drivers, basically. But I had to stand on two bricks to look over the fence. But it was a real speedway in those days. It's fascinating to see how that has transpired into really becoming an integral part of your whole working and and uh, social life. Yes, yeah. My brother and I followed through. We went to uh, the Ecker and uh, we went to Tracy's in Melbourne and, and Rowley Park. Um, and we used to go to Mount Druitt motor racing. At, at, uh, we, we travelled a fair bit when we were younger. In those days, you could do that. There were no dramas. And, um, you know, we tripped from sitting from Cogra. I was living at Cogra. And to go from Cogra to Mount Druitt was an electric train to... Uh, Central and a steam train to Mount Druitt, and then you walked up the hill to Mount Druitt. So it was um, 
you know, Jack Braden was just starting in those days. I've got photos there of Jack in original Little Cooper in 1953. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen him go right through his career. So it, it wasn't just Speedway and motor racing in general. And, and I ended up working for a, a racing car driver called Holt Vinnie. And Holt had a massive big smash there on Coronation Day at Mount Druitt. And uh, I ended up working for him uh, many years later in 1958 when I started my career as a motor mechanic. So, did you always have an interest in photography as well as motor racing? Oh, always keen on photos, but never really uh, could afford a decent camera. I had a, just a, a cheap, cheap camera, but it was only in later years when I got the chance to uh, photograph at Parramatta Speedway and Newcastle and Gosford. Um, I, I got really interested in it, and, and I thought I got some, you know, some fairly good, good shots over the years. Mm. Now. We've spoken about Speedway, but you've also had uh, a long fascination with road racing as well. So I guess it's just the mechanics and the uh, daredevilness of motor racing in general. Not really. I'm not a competitive person. I've never wanted to race or beat anybody. Um, I eventually bought and restored a vintage midget in 1997 to uh, 2000, and um, uh, I had... 14 years with that car. I drove over uh, four to five different states uh, in nine years. Uh, but in vintage, it's not racing. It's only demonstrations. So it suited me because I could, I could drive at my own pace. I've never driven a, a midget in my life and uh, I always loved them. And eventually, after about five years, I got up on the pace where I could sort of uh, run behind Gordon Benny and, on, and other people. So it was uh, fascinating. And then to, to hear that, motor fire and, and squeeze the throttle and, and the back goes out and, and you go into a corner sideways, you know, 140 k or something on the dirt. It's phenomenal. It's, it is an interesting, an interesting experience to be inside the car, but it's also yeah. quite an interesting experience to be inside the track and having yeah. cars, you know, at times coming straight at you. Oh yeah. I've had a few close shaves. Uh, the sidecars were the worst. The sidecars always came infield. The bike went out, they went out to the fence. And the cars usually went out to the fence, but the sidecars came infield. So you never never had your foot on the pole line for the sidecars. But uh, I did a, a Castrol day for um, Castrol Shoot for Castrol at uh, PCR in 1998. And Larry Perkins and uh, Russell Ingle had the drive of uh, Gary Russ's car. And they didn't have a clue on how to drive these things. Russell came in all sweaty and said, "Do the steering's heavy." And Rusty said, "You don't drive it with your hands; you drive it with your feet." And eventually, they got the idea of it. But I was standing in between turn one and two, between the uh, the piling and the uh, tyres there. And Larry came in sideways and, and did a big spin and came straight towards me, <laughs> 150 mile hour. So yeah, there are some dangerous times. Yeah, you've seen a lot of interesting cars and yes. worked on a number of them as well. How many cars have you, uh, you know, done work on over the years? Oh, well, when I started with, with Ray Eldershaw over at uh, Neutral Bay, Mobile Neutral Bay with Hull Finney's Garage, we did a lot of Holdens in those days, like Appendix J type Holdens, and then people like Tom Corkland started to buy Lola's and he bought a little Formula Junior Lola and Johnny Martin up the road had a car. Yeah, John was a very, very popular and very successful driver in the 50s. And uh, John bought a Lola or David Mackay, which was a sports car. 
and then um, we had another Lotus 11 come up from Victoria. Uh, we had Repco Holdens. And um, then when I was working with Ray, we had to move. We had to move because the uh, place was sold and we ended up working at Des Leonard's garage down at Manly Vale. Des raced to Valiant. And we were down there for a while and eventually ended up moving to another garage. And eventually, uh, Frank Maddox rang me one day because I'd met Frank when Holt Vinny bought the Gladiator. The Gladiator was a Buchanan bodied sports car that um, Barry Taylor had built in the early days for the MG engine and then put a hold in it later on. And uh, Leeton Motors and Banksia had the car, and Frank Maddich was the car salesman. And uh, Holt bought the car off Frank, and Frank brought it over. And I lived at Cobra, and Frank lived at Peakhurst, so he gave me a lift home. And he said, If ever you want a job, come and see us at Leeton Motors. So in 1960, I went to Leeton Motors, another change in my apprenticeship, and uh, worked at Leeton's and um, mainly in, in the workshop. But I did do some work on the Lotus 15 and the D-type, uh, and I worked with Bruce Richardson, who was a very good mechanic in those days, and I met Jimmy Roberts, who was the mechanic on the D-type. He worked for Victor Mowers and did all the uh, David Mackay's cars at Victor's. So it was pretty general experience, uh, and then... I went back to work with Ray, um, and we went to, um, that was after uh, Leeton's, and uh, ended up at Eastwood in the garage, and Frank rang me up and said, would you like to come and finish your time with me? He just got a service station at uh, Punchbowl, a total service station, and uh, I did that, and I finished my time with Frank in 62 and 63, working on the Lotus Monte Carlo and the Brabham BT7A and three Elfins. So it's quite a mix. It is indeed. And you were probably doing it for love more than money? Oh, well, it's a job. It was a job. I mean, how lucky can you be to, to get paid for doing something you love? You know, it's, uh, uh, the other thing I did was prepare uh, Renault R8 for, um, for Frank for the 1963 Armstrong 500, which was the first of the big meetings up there. And we, we drove the car, I drove up with Frank, Frank, Frank drove. We drove up on the Friday night practiced the car on a Saturday, raced on Sunday and come drove it home on, on Monday. And uh, you can't do that today with these cars. But that was another experience, which was, uh, you know, great. But I, I did a lot of trips to Bathurst over the years and uh, mainly in the pits, which was good. And I got to see all the Dan Joneses and the 250F Maseratis and the Nick Davidsons and David Mackays and all these wonderful drivers and cars of those eras, you know. Did you have a preference between, in road racing first, between open wheelers and sedans and, and sports car oh, racing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 250F Maserati is the only one to, to buy. It's, uh, well, I don't know what you'd be talking now, five or ten million dollars or more. But to hear a 250F go up mountain straight, it was absolutely glorious sound. What about in Speedway? Did you you were involved Please. later on in with BG, who were running a sprint car team? A BC, sorry. BC, yeah. yeah. I was the general manager of BC Motorsports for Cyril Peel. And Cyril rang me up to photograph the cars, actually. Um, I started photographing the gambler cars. He started with uh, Phil Gressman was the first driver. And we photographed the car out at La Perouse on the headland and got some lovely photos. And I photographed every car after that. And then uh, Cyril said, would you like to come and work for me? Because I'd... I'd wasn't working at the stage. I, I, I'd uh, left a. I was working in motor spare parts for thirty years after being a mechanic, 
and and I, I was uh, not retired, but made redundant basically. And Cyril said, uh, "Would you like to start up a uh, spare parts department for me in my Patraville factory?" And I said, "Yes, that'd be good." And I did that, and I was with Cyril for probably eighteen months, I suppose. And uh, we had a massive collection of spare parts. Yeah, we had one one uh, container come in with a million dollars worth of spares on it. It was phenomenal. Yeah. It's interesting that you've been able to uh, find so many different aspects of motorsport to be involved in, whether it be through photography, working on cars, and, of course, enjoying what they can do. But then you got involved with the Vintage Speed Car Association running events. Yeah, well, I had a a bloke called Wayne Robinson get in touch with me. Um, He wanted to know something about... Yeah, he got in touch with Ronnie Ward. Ronnie Ward was a midget builder. You'd probably know Ron's name and his cars. And he got in touch with Ron and wanted to know something about um, an old driver, Jack Ferguson, actually. He wanted to know when Jack Ferguson died at Cumberland Oval. And Ron said, go and talk to Brian up at Anderson's. He probably knows all about Speedway. And I'd sort of been at it for a long time, and that got me going again. And uh, Wayne wanted to make a uh, create a Speedway museum. And um, he wanted to do it at Maitland, where Speedway actually started with the bike in 1923. And he, we got together and, and we actually formed the Australian Speedway Museum. We had all the paperwork done, the business name. We had the land given to us at, by the Horticultural Society at uh, Maitland. And uh, it was right at the virtual place where Johnny Hoskins started the, the bikes in, in 23. But we just couldn't get the money. The money we were looking for was probably a million dollars, and just, just couldn't sort of put our hands on that to do it properly. So we, we did have a go at it, but um, we, we definitely need a Speedway Museum for sure. Yes, it's, um, it's a history that fast fades without some of the things that you've actually done. From 2000 onwards, you've been the curator of a, a lot of online resources and a lot of long online information about Speedway over the years. What got yeah. you into doing that? Well, when I sort of was made redundant virtually, like I worked for a man called Ken Anderson of the Anderson Auto Supplies. I was in on the ground floor of Auto One, which is a franchise dealership in motor spare parts, and I helped get that established around about 1990, and we had a big shop at Cogra, and eventually Repco bought Ken Anderson out. And I didn't want to work with Repco, so that was the end of my spare parts career. And I was sort of a bit loose ends, and I said to my son, my eldest son, very good IT and things, and I'd, I'd like to have a website. So he did the first page for me. We created a, a website, and I called it Vintage Speedway, and I went through a host, and I still do, in, in America called Homestead. And um, that's <laughs> developed into 16 websites over 20 years. So the, the Vintage Speedway one is getting close to a million hits now, and, and the others are all well, well in the hundreds of hundreds. You know. So then I decided I'd do, like to do something with Aussie Road Racing. I called AussieRoadRacing.homestead.com, and uh, I had people sending me their, their collections, either either physically or emailing me, and um, that developed into, what, 40 or 50 different collections. So it snowballs, you know. That is, yeah, that is amazing because now you've you've got, a, a number of photos from all different people's private collections available yeah. for people to see as well. Well, I've got many, many hundreds of photos from the UK. Some of the best 
speedway bikes I'm talking because mm-hmm. they don't race cars in speedway in, in England but the bikes uh, I've got a chap over there a good, very good friend and we've swapped photos over the years and I've got I've got probably 25,000 30,000 photos on my computer um, but I, I don't put them all on the website because people just download them straight away and it's not fair to just for the photographers and, and the other people that have sent them you know but I have a massive collection apart from what's on the internet there. Now, where did you did you have a love of Bill Good as a racing driver, or was it a case no. of you got the car and then built a relationship? No, I, I didn't know Bill Good at all, actually. And uh, when I was in the Vintage Speed Car Association, I, I got the, the bargain thought I'd love to, to have a midget, and was not easily come by. And um, Rob Smith, a chap that's now now passed, and uh, he had a had the wreck of the Bill Good Falcon in his garage, but he didn't want to sell it to anybody, and I, I must have hit the right spot with him. So he said he'd sell it to me, and uh, it was in the massive million pieces in his garage, and had a, a square tube frame, like a ladder ladder chassis, which is very flexible, and motor car. And uh, so I got that and, and the bits and pieces, nearly the whole car, but all, all the scraps and things. But uh, I had to build up the Falcon engine and, and, you know, completely restore the car. And it took me two years. Um, but it, when I finished it, I'd, <laughs> I'd never driven a midget. I never sat in a midget in life. So I started at Narrow Motor Park uh, on the dirt track down there. And uh, I, I thought I was King Dick. And I was doing about five kilometers an hour, I suppose. But I, I, it was fantastic feeling um, the car was beautiful it handled beautifully and as years went by and I sorted out the cooling and the drive line and things it turned out to be a marvellous motor car and um, I had a hell of a lot of good times in that car It's fascinating when you look through uh, your website and some of the things you've done and one of them is you've started doing plaques for the various tracks that are no longer with yes. us how, how did yes. the first one come about and then did people just keep coming back to you because you did the first one? Well, I, I think the Stradogram was the first one, Stradogram at Moore Park. Um, a couple of blokes in the club wanted it to sort of brought the idea up but they didn't want to do it like a lot of things. They, they have the ideas but they want to do it. So I got stuck into it and, and, and checked it all out and I went and saw Fox Studios and, and spoke to them about it and, I showed him a, a videotape of, of, of Brian Canine and Sherman Cleveland at the showground doing a match race, and they didn't believe it because at that stage the track was gone and it was all terrazzo, and the girls in the office couldn't believe Speedway was running past their door in the old days. And anyway, that was the start of the, the plaques. We did the one at the showground, and then we went on to do the sports ground, which is now the car park at Allianz Stadium. And uh, we, I did one for Maitland Speedway. And I also did the one for Claremont, and Jim Courtney, the veteran writer, took that over to Claremont and had that mounted. Um, and one of the other blokes did Windsor. I didn't do the Windsor one, but uh, no, I think they're very, very important things to, to do. And, and uh, there has been talk about Cumberland Oval, but you know, they can only talk. People aren't sort of putting their hands up to do it at the moment. But, uh, no, they're very important things. And, um, you know, I think it's all part of the history and just doing what you can to, to preserve. Did you have any inkling when you were younger that you'd you'd be doing this sort of thing and conserving uh, parts of Australia's motorsport heritage? <laughs> Not really. No, I just love motor cars. My my grandfather was was marvellous with cars. He had 
he had Rickon Backers and Erskins and Judy Bakers and, and two cylinder Peugeots and, and and he wasn't a mechanic but he had a marvelous knowledge of mechanics. He had to fix his own cars with bits of leather for a for a Conrad bearing if you're up in the mountains and the and the get a bearing or putting grass in the tires when your tube blew out and all those sort of things you had to do in those days. And he was a marvelous, uh, marvelous inventor. And he he had a business and, and he used to run all around Sydney, sold 28 Erskine and when I was off on school holidays, I'd go with him. So we, we travelled all around the place and uh, that was the start of it. There was love of, love of cars and, and, and I just, just thought I'd like to be a motor mechanic. And when I left school, I, I looked in the paper for weeks and weeks and uh, one day in the Herald, Sydney Morning Herald, I looked right to the end where, uh, in the Y section. It's a young man must be interested in motor racing. And I thought, that's me. And it turned out to be Hulk Vinny, the bloke I'd seen smashed at Mount Druitt in 53. And I was living at Cogler and he was at Neutral Bay. So it was a, it was a hell of a trip over the years, but it was certainly well worthwhile. What has been the uh, interesting thing about being on the inside, particularly when you were uh, doing your your photography at the track, what has been the biggest thing you've learnt about speedway and and racing drivers in that time? Oh, I, I found most of them were very good. There were, there were a couple that, that didn't appreciate what you were doing as far as photographing. They thought you were making money, and you don't make money out of speedway photography. The, the, the point was, I was working for a, a publisher. And um, the, the point was the photos I took were published and then that rider or driver got that uh, published, sometimes worldwide. But I, I had two or three walk away from me and, and refused photos. But most of them, like Mac Dumsey and, and Skip Jackson and Robbie Farr, and those blokes are fantastic. After a 30-lap sprint car race at PCR, they'd come in and pull up. And the sweat was pouring off and they'd pull the helmet off and you'd say, can I have a photo, Robbie? <laughs> And they'd smile and you take a photo. There were a couple that used to walk away. Mm. The the interesting thing now is how Speedway's changed. What has been your impression of the differences that we see in Speedway between when you're hanging over the fence to now being inside taking the photos? Oh, I think it's clinical, a bit clinical as far as the spectator's concerned and I think in the old days you, you had the bad bad people. You know, the man in the black hat was always a bad driver, like the Moffat and Brock situation. And uh, but it, it doesn't seem to be competitive. I, I, I just felt there wasn't a. To be quite honest, I used to get a bit bored after a while at Parramatta because it just got, it had nine restarts one one night. You know, and, that, and that's sort of it's not good, good viewing for people to watch nine restarts. Uh, you know, one lap and it stops again. I don't know. It's uh, it was the photography side got me in, at that stage. It wasn't so much the speedway. I loved the noise and and the, and the cars and and that sort of flowed through the working with Cyril. I could build a sprint car in an afternoon from the spare parts we had. You know, but it just wasn't the same buzz as I got out of vintage. I, I enjoyed the vintage side more. And what what do you look at now? What what are you aspiring well, to? I'm, I'm aspiring at the moment to have a, a model railway built. I've got a big model railway starting to be built in my garage, and that's, <laughs> that's where I'm spending my hours of a day now. And I've got trains running around and, and laying tracks and 
all sorts of things. It's just something I've always wanted to do as a little boy. I never did, and, and I got the chance to, to get on a second-hand railway model train set, and I started with a small table, about six by four, and now I've gone pretty big, and I spend a couple of hours every day, and it's, it's not the, the long... The, the, the end part is it's building thing and, and getting the track right and you know fixing the trains and things like that. But it's in the mechanical side I enjoy because I can fix the trains. But it's just something different. I'm, I'm still doing the websites, but um, that's sort of slowed down. I do a lot on e- I sell a lot on eBay. I, I sell a lot of uh, speedway memorabilia on eBay. Uh, so I've always got sort of fifty to a hundred items on eBay. There's programs and, and uh, DVDs and whatever I've, I've got. You know, I've got a garage full of speedway memorabilia. I've actually, whilst we've been talking, seen something uh, that's fascinating to me, probably no one else, but you have a, a speedway program of the Royal from the 20th of December 1958, which has my grandfather on it in his offie, and yeah. you have a program of uh, May the 1st, 1999 of Homebush, and it has me yeah, sitting I, in my grandfather's offie. I took that photo. Yeah, that's amazing. That's one, that's one of my photos, yeah. yeah. And that, that photo was taken at uh, the showground, not not at um, Homebush. Yes, that's right. Uh, one of the last yeah. meetings, or probably about 1990, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw Ray drive and he, with Andy McGavin and, and uh, Bill Reynolds and Johnny Pierce in those early days. And I, and I saw your grandfather go right through. and He was probably the, the greatest speed car driver Australia's ever had. You know, it, it definitely was. Uh, and I've gone through the history of his car. I've got the whole history of his car on, on my website called Jeff Hedricks. I don't know if you've seen that one, have you? Yes, yeah. yeah uh, the whole history of that car is there. With with some of the, the drivers that you were watching, um, Brian Kaneen and and those sort of people who are still around, are they able to help you much with what you develop on the sites about them? Uh, it's actually amazing that a lot of those blokes don't have much idea of history or other cars or other drivers. They, they sort of know their own situations and their own history, but they don't have a lot of general history knowledge. But Brian Canine is a fabulous man. I, I love Brian. He's such a wonderful bloke, and uh, he can remember every race and every lap he's ever driven, you know. So, uh, yeah, I've had a. This is one of the biggest things that, that got me excited with, you know, over the years was to get to meet people like Brian Kaneen, Ivan Major, you know, Sid Middlemas. Over um, Funden actually came over and hugged me after a display down. We used to, I was a secretary of the Veteran Speedway Riders for a couple of years with Peter White, was the treasurer. And uh, I did a DVD presentation when Over Funden came out in 2011. And uh, after the presentation, he came running over and hugged me. <laughs> he was five times world champion hugging me, you know. So that that was pretty exciting to get to meet all those blokes that you, you, you were your heroes. You know, I, I stood in front of Final Van Prague and got his autograph and got his greasy thumbprint on my autograph book and Orb Lawson and Lionel Levy and, and all those people in the old days. And those names don't mean a lot to people today because, you know, that bike speedway's gone forever. That's pure history. Yeah, and it's fascinating that people can get a touch and a glimpse of that through your websites now. So, yeah. and well, I've done probably 150, 200 DVDs, both video and photos. So they're always. I've got a website called speedwaypicks.homestead.com, and that's just full of the DVDs I've done. And they're always available. 
what uh, what you mentioned some of your favourite speed car drivers there, but what about more contemporary drivers when you just watch them drive, um, albeit through the lens of Parramatta? What were the drivers that really caught your attention on their racecraft? Oh, I think people like Robbie Farr was good. Robbie was in the good in the midges as well as the sprint car. Stephen Graham was was, was very good. Um, young Nathan Smee was a, as it is always a brilliant driver. But Nathan started a bit late, as you know. He started in his thirties, where a lot of the young kids start in their eighteens and seventeens. But I think I think Nathan and, and Stephen Graham, Robbie Farr, uh, Craig, uh, what's his name? What was his? Uh, I can't think Brady. of last name. Brady. Craig Brady was, was a good driver, yeah. But of course, Rushy, Rushy was uh, big time at the showground. With his, those last couple of meetings, he sort of showed him what to do in a, in a midget. So, uh, uh, he's a very flexible man, Gary Rush. And you mentioned uh, having seen Lionel Van Prague, Australia's first world champion in motorsport. Yeah, yeah. The bikes obviously hold a special place in your memory. Yes, yeah. Well, bikes in those days were all one colour. They were all chrome, dull metal frame. The riders wore black leathers. They wore a plain crash helmet. So you, you could you could have you recognise the rider from his his stance, the way he rode the bike. You could see his facial features through the the gas goggles. There was no full face helmet. Um, but today, with the young blokes with all their coloured leathers and, and bikes, it's very hard to pick them unless you're seeing them regularly. But um, yeah, the bikes were very good in those days, and, and uh, you know I've seen blokes lose their lives, quite a few lose their lives in front of me, and that's, that's not a great thing to see. But uh, that's part of speedway, of course. There's a number of Americans that came over that I wanted to ask you about. One of which is a, is a man who I met in later life, and and like you, had a passion for photography, Frank Satan Brewer. Oh, Frank. <laughs> I love Frank, yeah. yeah. I went to Frank's 90th birthday party uh, and his daughter, Marilyn, put the party on and uh, Frank was a real card, actually, and he had this cake all set up and he'd been to America recently and they lit these candles in the cake and he blew them all out and they all came back on again and he looked very astounded and he couldn't understand it and he blew them out again and they came back on. But uh, there was some sort of trick candle that he got in America and he's pretending he didn't know anything about it. But Frank was a lovely man, and, and he actually went out of his way to to, to um, do all these past history uh, in, in uh, photocopies for me. And I've got all these photocopies of all his American history and all sorts of things. And he, he really was. And he came along to the veteran riders' dinners as well as the, the street, uh, you know, events. So, yeah, a marvellous man. I've got a lovely photo of Frank and Chuck Hodgkiss. Chuck Hodgkiss was one of the old sidecar riders, and they're both deaf as a post. And they're both trying to talk to each other, and it was quite funny. You also um, would have seen Cal Nidey. No, no, a little bit before my time. Cal Nidey was 1948, 49. So I didn't start till 53. So it was a bit early for me on that one. Oh, okay. Don Meacham? Yeah, I knew Don, actually. Uh, I met Don in, on the vintage side. I didn't meet him when he raced out here in 68, but I met him later on in Brisbane um, at the Echo because he came out for two or three meetings for the big vintage meetings at the Echo. 
And he floored me, actually. I just pulled up the, the T5 on the trailer outside the motel and I walked up and here's Don Meacham and his brother Larry sitting in the beer garden. And I said, oh, that's Don Meacham. And I said, hi, Don. I'm Brian Darby. He said, mate, he said, I know Brian Darby. He said, how are you, mate? You know? <laughs> and he knew me before I knew him. So it was, it was quite a feather in my cap, actually. And, and we got to be good friends, too. What about Johnny Stewart? Never had anything to do with Johnny Stewart. I saw him race, of course, but I never actually met him, you know, physically. But uh, obviously, a very, very capable driver. Those blokes were a breed of their own. The, the Lembrocks and Stewart, and you know, um, James and people like that. I mean, Werner Greve was, uh, was probably the most dangerous driver of all time. But, I mean, it was, it was spectacular. Now, was, was he actually a German, or was he just? He was German. No, he, he was German. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, he, he drove one of Frank Brewer's cars, which was brought out here in, what, 49, a car that Andy McGavin drove and Bill Reynolds drove, and the flatback car was the 860. And uh, later on, that was the car that Werner Greed started on, and for him, and uh, eventually it was rebodied, and that was the car John Harvey drove for 13. And that's been restored, and Warren Briggs, the photographer, is now got the car. So it had a massive amount of history, but... Uh, Werner used to use the fence to get around the corner. He used to use the fence for the right rear and the way he'd go. But, you know, Bill, Bill uh, Treville that died recently, Bill was a, a top driver, but he had a massive smash with Bill um, Werner Reeves at the showground, and that put Bill out of action for the rest of his life. Mm. But, uh, you know, he, he, was, he, he would have been a, a next driver in an office. Uh, John Sfield offered him an often house as a drive, and... Uh, he had this big crash and that was the end of it. You never know what he could have done. It would have been interesting, yes. Brian, it's been a pleasure chatting with you here today. And uh, look, thank you for sharing the time. And also thank you for keeping such a wonderful record of Australia's oh, motorsport heritage up there right. online. I hope I haven't bored you, actually. I get to be carried away when we start talking about all this. But uh, no, it's been my pleasure, Craig. It's uh, very kind of you to think of me, to be quite honest. So. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for being with us once again on Inside Speedway. This week, we end on a sad note. Ray Scott, Spring Car team owner, has passed away. We offer our condolences to Ray's families and friends at this time. Tune in next week for more on Inside Speedway. Inside Speedway is produced by Thunder Media. Any reproduction, accounts, or descriptions of the program without written permission from Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Inside Speedway is brought to you by P1 Australia and by Speedway Classics Magazine, on sale now.